joy again to be here with you all and uh, to enter into this first Sunday of Advent. Uh, we're going to jump into the, into the story of Luke 1, verses 67 through 79, the song of Elizabeth and Zechariah. And as we enter into the story, I want you to remember that we are having um, to jump into a bigger story, bigger than our minds or our modern eyes or modern ears, modern bodies can understand. We're jumping into the story of ancient Israel. We're jumping into the story of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and also the God of Sarah and Hagar, Leah and Rachel and Tamar. And we're jumping into their bigger story, and we're being grafted into their narrative as well. And so when we jump into this, this song, we have to remember what has been happening in the story of Israel. We have to remember that Elizabeth's story and Zechariah's story and John the Baptist's story is uh, wrapped up in the bigger story of Israel, in the bigger story of God and God's people, and so is yours. And so is yours. So we're being grafted into that story. There's been 400 years of hard and long and weary and unresolved waiting for the people of Israel. It isn't the kind of waiting um, like kids waiting the night before Christmas to open their presents, right? It isn't that kind of like waiting. It's harder than that. It's a hard waiting, and, it's, and it's, it's not a passive waiting either. It's an oppressive kind of waiting. It is the tension between someone is coming because God's people have been promised that someone is going to come rescue them, that the Messiah, the anointed one, the long-expected one is coming. It's that tension between someone's coming, someone's coming, and also, how long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord? Someone is coming. Yeah, but how long, O oh Lord? Like, how long will you keep us waiting? At year one, I may have waited with patience. At year five, thank you. I may have waited with patience. Thank you, Shirley. At year 10, and then you're like, okay, the quinceanera waiting. Year 15. Year 200, y'all. 205. And don't we know siblings who have that kind of long and unresolved waiting for oppression and for chains to end? We're not very far off like the people of Israel. So 400 years of oppression, they're being oppressed by Rome, by the empire, but they're also taxed heavily by their faith leaders. The synagogue was taxing them heavily, y'all. So they're being oppressed by Rome, but also by their faith leaders, by their pastors or seminary professors in that time, by Pharisees and scribes and the faith leaders of the community. They also were taxing their bodies heavily. No one had seen a vision from God. No angel had spoken. And then God breaks the silence of this hard and long and unresolved waiting. If at any point during the service you want to get up and go read uh, the longings butcher paper there that we've collected throughout the weeks, may that be an act of worship where we've written our longings and we've written our how long, O Lord, moments. It's beautiful to see. It's an act of worship to go there and read those, those longings that we're waiting for God to come. So this is where the story finds us. 
and I'd like for us to read it. And I know we don't always do this because we're not a high liturgical church, but if we could stand for the reading of God's word uh, and for this song that um, it's, it's, it's titled Zechariah's Prophecy, but um, it's the song of Elizabeth and Zechariah. It's both of their stories. It's not only one, but Zechariah is speaking it out loud. Luke chapter one, verses 67 through 79. This is the word of the Lord. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke this prophecy. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty savior for us in the house of his servant, David. As he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus he has shown the mercy promise to our ancestors and has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and justicia before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So we find ourselves in this story. In this hard and long and unresolved waiting. To a community, specifically a priest named Zechariah. That in the few verses before, in chapter 1, verse 5, it says that Zechariah is a righteous man. He is a priest. He is a righteous man. He is a man of prayer. And he goes into the sanctuary and has a vision in the sanctuary. And many of you know the story. And the angel tells him that Elizabeth is going to be pregnant and that they're going to have a child. And many of you remember that he asked the question, well... How do I know this is going to happen? And, and uh, Angel Gabriel gets kind of sassy and says, because you did not believe me, I will send you on a silent retreat for nine months where you will not speak <laughs> until the things I said to you come to pass. But isn't it wonderful that disbelief doesn't disqualify us from the promises of God? So I can say that I can relate to Zechariah at times. He said, the angel says, I am Gabriel, and I'm standing and telling you that this is good news, that a child is coming. And then Elizabeth, um, it says that in verse 25, she says about her condition, um, this is what the Lord has done for me. When the Lord Yahweh looked favorably on me and took away my disgrace and took away the disgrace that I have endured among the people. So we have Zechariah, who is a priest, and we have Elizabeth, who is a descendant of priests. She is a descendant of Aaron's daughters, so she is a daughter of priests and married to a priest. Kind of like being a pastor's wife. Uh. <laughs> and some of us here may know what that means. I'm looking at you, Selena. And she isn't just a priest's wife. 
The cultural expectations to bear children are heavier in the first century. Her identity, her sense of calling, her sense of purpose culturally was wrapped around having children and not just children, but having and bearing a son. So we don't know the weight probably of Elizabeth's burden because society in that time may have told her that she was too childless, too woman, too old, and too disgraced to mean anything for society. The tension of Zechariah and Elizabeth and how it may have impacted their marriage, how she probably sometimes had to put on a brave face just to show up to the sanctuary. At some point in her life, they probably, you know how it is when people, they stop asking you, when are you going to have a baby? We don't understand her brokenness and how um, that cloud was constantly piercing her heart. And then all of a sudden, the same God who spoke the world into being speaks her womb into being. And she is filled with the Holy Spirit so much so that when Mary, you know this, uh, this part of the story, comes to visit, to her, visit her, she's filled with the Holy Spirit. The baby leaps in her womb and she, she cries out an affirmation and a benediction of what's happening in Mary's life. So all of this is happening before we get to this song. And it's important to know because the song arises from silence. And a long silence at that. So before we rush to hope, we have to sit in the waiting of Elizabeth. We have to sit in the waiting of Zechariah the priest, who year after year went in and did his priestly duties and was praying to God and God was not answering his prayers. It's okay for us to ask God why he's not answering our prayers. They probably did too. So we have to sit in this, this waiting of their life, but also of the whole people of Israel. God takes away her disgrace, she says, and she's going to bear a son. Uh, the angel performed a divine ultrasound. One in four children in the Bible um, are, are named before the baby is born. Uh, Ishmael was first, Isaac was next, John is the third, Jesus will be the fourth. A special child. So his name is going to be John. His name is going to be John, and it means God, Yahweh is gracious. Somebody say gracious. Gracious. gracious which also means to make gracious and to have compassion. 400 years of silence. This song arises because God has compassion on God's own people, and this child is coming with a promise. This child is coming with a promise, and Elizabeth is carrying God's grace in this child. And Zechariah sings of God's grace. She is carrying God's grace, and he is singing of God's grace. So when we get to verse 67, in Zechariah, uh, finally, um, after the, the silent retreat, <laughs> um, uh, authorized by the angel, by the way, he starts singing, and there, there, was a, um, there was a confusion there about why they were not calling him Zechariah. And in verse 60, uh, Elizabeth says, no, his name is going to be called John. His name is going to be called God is Gracious. That's the name that the angel gave him. So they start praising God, um, and, and Zechariah, his mouth is open, and he starts praising God. The first half of the song, let, let me just quickly tell you that the first half of this, it's not a song, but it's a song. The first half of the song is about praising God. The verse there are, God remembers, God fulfills, 
God hears, God answers, God promises, God keeps promises, God looks and God redeems, God speaks, God raises up a people, God raises up prophets to speak to people, God covenants, meaning God is steadfast and faithful. And God delivers a mercy promise. So the first part of this, of this song is praise unto God. And then we get to verse 76. 76, 7, 77, 78, and 79. It's about God, a John's calling. And that's what I'd like to sit with a little bit this evening. As we feel the tension of the light and the darkness, as we feel this tension of this honest waiting, as we feel the tension of someone is coming and also how long, O oh Lord, we remember the Psalms of Lament. We remember that the Psalms of Lament, like the tension between, between this and before is Psalms that say, uh, why are you so downcast, O oh my soul, Psalm 42? Why are you so disturbed within me? Or I, as a deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul is longing after you, O oh God. Songs from, psalms from exile that also say, in, in God I put my hope. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall never be shaken, even when they had been shaken though. Do you feel the tension? It's not denying that they hadn't been shaken. It's also affirming that these people had been shaken that Elizabeth's life had been shaken. For God alone, my soul waits in silence, for my hope is from God. God alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my deliverance and my honor. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. We feel that tension of all these Psalms, a third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament of saying, where are you, God? Have you forsaken us, God? Did you forget about us, God? And I wonder if you can join into this chorus of voices that had to wait a very long time. Elizabeth's story and Zechariah's story is a hard story. It's a holy story, but it is a hard story. And I think what that does to us, what it does to me, is that it encourages me that God honors your deserts. That God honors your despair. That God sees your desolation and is chasing after you to console you. That God honors where your feet have been, where they stand now in this present moment and where you are going. God honors all your past addresses, all the past places where you have been and where you have wondered, where are you, God? I want you to know that the question of where are you, God, fits perfectly in the waiting. That's called honest waiting. And that is okay to name and to say. So we get to verse 76, and this is what's being said of John. John is a child with a calling. John is a name with a purpose. 
Uh, his name has form and function. It has a reason to it. It has a calling to it. And as we read these next few verses, I want you to listen honestly for God's invitation to you this evening. This is where I would like to just for us to breathe and let the text breathe and let the Spirit illuminate this part of the text. Listen for the invitation. Let me read it one more time. A new child, the child that's named Yahweh is gracious. You, John, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, God's ways, to give knowledge of salvation to God's people by the forgiveness of their sins. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. I want you to notice as you're reading um, up here, the picture that's behind there, if it's okay to share, it's Nicola's picture. And you were telling me that you and Alex, Nicola's husband Alex, you were in Colorado? Where were you? Seattle. Seattle. I see mountains and I imagine it's Colorado. <laughs> um, Seattle. And you had booked it up the mountain to try to catch the dawn. To try to catch the dawn. It's a beautiful picture. So it's like a real picture, like we didn't buy it from anywhere. It's someone's actual picture. And I just love that when she, she was telling me the story behind the picture. And I thought, well, this fits perfectly with what I'm preaching on Sunday because they were trying to book it up the mountain before the dawn. It's always darkest before the dawn. It's always darkest before the dawn. And they were able to see the sunrise. And that felt like an honest waiting, not a passive waiting, but an active kind of waiting. The picture, I hope, look at it, just sense it, touch it, see it. Use your senses to see how the Spirit is inviting you into this honest waiting. Notice the places where it's dark. Notice the places where there are shadows. Notice the places where there is light. Oh, there's a road. I did not notice that the first time. I think it's a road. Notice the point of view of the people who are looking at this. This is what we're looking at. When we look at Zechariah and Elizabeth's song, this is what we're looking at. Someone else looking at something else. You know what I mean? And it's inviting you. It's inviting all of you. And it's sacred ground. It's holy ground. I was thinking of Shirley when she came up a couple of weeks ago and took her shoes off. If I could just make all of you take your shoes off, I will. I won't do this tonight, but I will. I would to say that the ground that you're standing is holy ground. Because your song, the ones that you sing in the silence are holy, are sacred. Just as much as the ones that we sing out loud on Sundays. It's always darkest before the dawn. And this is an honest kind of waiting. A psalm that ends in this. And John's calling, I think, is an invitation to us. And there's three things in John's calling that I think is inviting us this evening. Verse 76 says that the child is going to be called a prophet of the Most High. So it means that he is going to prophesy, to speak truth about God. That's what it means to prophesy. When you speak truth, when you tell the truth about something. You speak truth about God, you speak truth about yourself, and you speak truth about a community. 
That means to prophesy. And he's going to be a prophet of the Most High, and he's going to go before the Lord, meaning anticipating the coming of the Lord to prepare his ways. Why does God need anyone to anticipate God's own coming? I thought that was interesting to, to think about a fragile human preparing the way for God to come. Why can't just God show up? But the tenderness of yet another child and another baby growing up to be the voice of Maybe, I was thinking about this, maybe it's because sometimes if God were to just show up in front of me, I'm not sure that I would believe God. But when God sends someone that I know, embodied and enrolled in God's own grace, a friend to sit with me in the silence, because in order for you to know grace, you, have, you need to have sat in this grace. I sat to, a friend to sit with me in the silence, to hold me in my tears, to hold me when I'm about to pass out because the grief is too deep. You ever had those moments where the mascara runs? You can't even see, it's so blurry, your eyes burn. Because sometimes you just need someone with skin on to be enrolled with God's grace. That's how, who John is. And I bet you if we would sit here and wait for a minute, a minute you would name one, two, three, four people who have done something in your life to embody God's grace when you needed it, when you were crying in the silence or when you were rejoicing in celebration. Think about that. The Lord is sending someone to come tell you first, listen, if it hadn't been for the Lord. Or listen, I don't have answers to this trauma and this, this uh, crisis in your life, but I'm going to sit with you on this bathroom floor. I'm gonna sit with you on this bathroom floor until we get an answer, right? Until we surrender to the salt. The poet, poetress, just make that word up right now, told us last week. And sometimes you just need someone to surrender to the salt of the tears with you. That's what Selena said to us last week. No answers, just surrender to the salt. And you need company when you're in exile. And you need company when you're in the desert. And you need company when you're in the wilderness. And you don't know where to go. But God's current address is this present moment. And someone who is present with you in that moment. Listen, I don't remember what was said at my mother's funeral. It lasted three hours. <laughs> Nicarino, Nicaragua funeral is super long. I don't remember. Um... I think someone say, sang the Our Father in like opera style. <laughs> I don't remember what was said. A lot of things, a lot of people came up there, but you know who I do remember? My primo, my cousin, Eddie, who is no longer with us. He is with the Lord. He sat next to me and he just put his arm around me. He was strong, he worked out and he was also a pilot. And he just like wept where like his body was shaking. I think he was crying more than I was. And I was 11 years old and I just felt like so tiny and so held by my cousin. And he just, <gasps> for a man to cry in her culture too, is like huge. I remember anything that was said from up front, y'all. I remember my cousin's arms around me. I remember his strength. And that was God's grace for me. That was God's grace. In my why moment of why did this happen? 
Did you forget me on that day, Lord? Did you remove your hand of protection from me on that day, God? Why didn't you stop that plane accident? But I remember Eddie shaking and crying. So the Lord sends his people, God's own people, to be gracious to you. And the gospel reaches us first on its way to somebody else. So God's grace has to be received by us so that we can extend that grace unto others. You, child, will be called a prophet or a prophetess to any prophetesses here of the Most High. And you will go before the Lord to prepare God's ways so that someone can sit with us in our honest waiting. Here's the next word, verse 77. To give knowledge of salvation. To give knowledge of salvation to his people. This feels very invitational to me. To give knowledge of salvation. In order to give knowledge, in order for John to be gracious, to give knowledge of salvation. And y'all know he, he wasn't playing. He was not playing. He was like, I'm going to go past the Jordan and tell all you people how much you are oppressing God's own people. To give knowledge of salvation, one must receive it willingly. So do you see the tension in this text? Like in order for God to give, we have to receive. In our order for God to give knowledge of salvation that is surrounded and centered in Jesus, we must receive our need for Jesus and his forgiveness on the cross. Do you see what I'm saying? So to give knowledge of salvation is something that God is extending you right now. I think it's an invitation. There's three this evening that I want to share. Here's the first one. To give knowledge to you. Listen to the invitation in John's calling. John's calling was to give knowledge of salvation. And that is centered in Jesus. And salvation is not just this one moment where we got up and prayed the Lord's Prayer or whatever. It's this, it's this holistic just growing. Just always growing, right? Always growing. Pulling up the weeds. Going to therapy. Pulling up more weeds. Having honest conversations with people that tell you, um, that put a mirror in front of you. Salvation is holistic. It's, it's emotional. It's physical. It's spiritual. It's all kinds of salvation that God is constantly sanctifying us and making us whole because exile and desert and despair and darkness has fragmented us. So it isn't only the forgiveness of our sins, it's also the effects of someone else's sins against our life. Jesus not only died for the forgiveness of our sins, but for someone else's sin that traumatized you. Praise him, Doug. Praise him for the trauma in your life, for the crises in your life, for the disease in your life, for the airplane accidents in your life. Jesus died for the effects of that on you too. When you get knowledge of that, then you, th then you are able to receive willingly the knowledge of a very holistic salvation that includes all parts of me. All parts that I am still growing into. So three invitations that God is extending you right now, tonight, to give knowledge of salvation. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us. There's that tension again of that thin line. I don't know, is it 3 a.m. now, 4 a.m.? When does the dawn dawn? 
When is it? That thin line when it's so dark that I can't see really well and the sun starts rising? That thin line makes a big difference in our day, in our week, in our year, in our life. That thin line, I want you to pause and take a breath. Because that's, if you run through it, you might miss the dawn. Like, Nicole and Alice were booking it up, right? But if you, like, blink sometimes, you might miss it. It's hard to wait. It's hard to wait to take a breath and notice the work of God and what's happening in us and around us. It's hard to wait. Tell that to, uh, who was it, Asensio today? Tell that to Asensio who tried to make a shot and he like over, over kicked it over the goal. Okay, I'm a soccer mom, so I don't know much. I'm just pretending to know a little bit about soccer through my child. But today we were at Doug and Sandy's house doing a watch party, watching the Spain-Germany uh, game. And it's really fun to watch soccer, I'm finding out, with Doug because he actually plays soccer and coach people. And so he told me what happened to Asensio. He said he should have paused. Then you said what? Dribble? Take a breath. When he said take a breath, I said who? Take a what? Take a breath. My spirit left. He said he should have paused, taken a breath, dribbled, and they then taken the shot. That's why he overshot. He was overly eager. Come on now, isn't that a sermon? Of <laughs> waiting for the dawn. Of pausing and taking a breath. Sometimes those thin moments of you pausing and saying, you know what? Man, I overreacted in that, mo in that moment. I wonder what's happening inside of me. Do you know what I'm saying? I wonder what's happening inside of me. That stop and take a breath before you open up the word, your, your mouth and say a word. I'm sure you've seen those memes where like, this is the Holy Spirit covering my mouth before I say something stupid and act like a fool. Stopping and taking a breath before the dawn, being willing to sit in the silence. I'll tell you what God's invitation to me, you won't have to tell it to me, but I'll tell you what God's invitation to me in this season in this first invitation, to give knowledge of salvation. God's invitation to me is to go back to therapy. Take a deep breath. Gracias, January. This is the third time in my life, third season, having gone through a difficult season. And I'm grateful for friends who say, here's, here's the name of a therapist. Here's a phone number. Oh, I lost it. Here's the name of the therapist. Here's the phone number. Looking at this corner of me, I'm gonna preach to the people over here. They like me. Okay. To receive knowledge of yourself is knowledge of salvation. Something as simple as I'm gonna call a therapist tomorrow at 10 a.m. and see about starting to meet with them. Now we've been, we've had two long years, church, haven't we? All of us, not just me. All of us, we've gone through three, thank you, honey, three, three long years of a global pandemic, racial inequities, anti-blackness, anti-indigenous, anti-immigrant rhetoric, anti-Asian rhetoric, rhetoric uh, politics, I just have to say politics. Planting a church the past two years, I was a chaplain, I'm no longer a chaplain, being a chaplain at a seminary during a pandemic, my heart feels fractured. Thank you for your, thank you. 
taking a breath. We're pausing, we're taking a breath before we take the next shot so that we won't miss it. Take a knowledge of salvation, Jesus says. Sometimes your salvation is something as simple as going to see a professional who can tell you, give you knowledge about yourself. I'm nervous about it, even though I've done it before, because this is a different season. I wonder what God's invitation to receive knowledge for you is. It could be therapy. If you need a, a, a recommendation, we have a list. It could be something else. But listen to God's invitation when you pause, you take a breath while you're booking it up the mountain, and you're in that in-between space where the sky touches the mountain, and it just feels a little fragile right there. Second invitation. Because God's mercy is so tender. Thank you, Jesus, for your tenderness. Thank you that you never condemn us, that you're always giving us not a condemnation, but an invitation. I just have to praise God for that in that moment. The second invitation is to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. I think it was Nide who said earlier something about piercing the clouds, that God's light would pierce the clouds. Again, looking back at that, at that picture. To give light in the darkness, one also must name the darkness. One also must name our need for healing. One also must name the trauma. One also must name the injustice in these here streets. So we don't deny the darkness and just dismiss it. We say it is here. What are we going to do about it? Whether it's darkness in our own lives and personal, individual, but also communal. What is this church going to do about it? How will we live into the life, love, and justice of Jesus? To give light in the darkness. We feel the tension of the light in the clouds being pierced by the light. And I love this, that it is because of God's tender mercy that God sends light to chase after us. In the same way that in his tender mercy, God broke the silence of 400 years and his voice spoke and then six months later he speaks again to a child who is going to actually bear the Messiah. God is always chasing after you if you're paying attention to your body. If you're paying attention to how you're feeling, if you're paying attention to the sun you know, coming through your window, if you're paying attention to a friend who says, hey, are you okay? No, like, are you really okay? And sits down, I'm not saying that you're not okay. I'm saying that, I don't know. Or if you hang out around Jonathan, baby Jonathan, um, listen, if you've been acting a fool all week, don't look into Jonathan's eyes because he will convict you of sin. <laughs> he is so innocent and beautiful and holy. And I'm telling you, he, he, he speaks into this church all the time. Sarah sent me a video of him coming up to the, the dust that we had a couple of weeks ago and him like moving things around and I was I didn't tell y'all that while he was doing that I really felt like the ground was hot and I wanted to start crying but didn't know why and I was just like just get through communion let's just get through communion task oriented task oriented we're in the U.S. right <laughs> um, and he just went up up here he paused he took a breath and he said I'm gonna come up here and take my time while all you people over here thinking about your darkness and the dust that, and I'm just going to start wiping it away. Just wiping it away. And I, and I told y'all that just let him, let him, because that's his act of worship. If y'all just pay attention to Jonathan, you will be saved. 
You, you and your household will be saved. He comes to my little pile over here where I wrote, Beloved, with my little finger. And he just like, <laughs> wipes it off. He wasn't wiping away the word beloved. He was wiping away all the things that make me think I'm not beloved. To give light in your darkness. Right? Just watch Jonathan. Just pay attention to yourself. Pay attention to your overreactions. To give light in the darkness requires that one must name the darkness and receive the light and allow the light to pierce our clouds. To give knowledge of salvation, one must receive willingly the need that we need knowledge of a holistic salvation. And number three, to guide our feet into the way of peace. To guide our feet into the way of peace because trauma and pain has robbed us of our peace, of our joy, of our hope, and it's okay to feel the tension of, I don't feel hopeless, hopeful right now, right? I don't feel hopeful, so then I'm seeking peace. I don't feel peaceful, so then I'm seeking peace. I don't feel hopeful because I feel hopeless right now. I just love the back and forth of the invitation here. In John's name, in John's purpose, in John's calling, God is calling us today to receive knowledge of salvation, to give light in the darkness, to guide our feet into the way of peace. In order to be led, to guide our feet into the way of peace, one must be led. One must say, I'm going to release control for just a little bit and be led and be guided. And someone else is gonna have to take me by the hand and listen with me or discern with me or put a mirror in front of me in community. We can't know, we, we don't know ourselves unless we know ourselves better in community. So this tension of light and darkness, of giving knowledge and receiving knowledge, of giving light and uh, naming the dark, and of guiding our feet, acknowledging that one must be led, I think those are the invitations in John's name this evening. And I wonder which one of them makes um, more sense to you right now. I wonder which one of those words has a heartbeat to it, like it's inviting you to come. I want you to listen and to pay attention with your body, where you feel that in your body. John is calling us. It's an honest invitation to receive God's grace in this season. So as we're leaning into, leaning into the season of Advent, don't be so quick to take that shot. Pause, take a breath, sit in that in-between moment between darkness and dawn. And I wonder what is God's invitation to you to receive God's grace. I think the invitation is that God is gracious and God wants to sit with us in the places where it doesn't feel as so great or so gracious. Grace takes a lot of vulnerability. So what is the grace that you need this week, this month, this season? Is it knowledge of God? I think we're full of a lot of knowledge of God. The challenge for me is my knowledge of self more than my knowledge of God. My mind is full of knowledge of God, y'all. I am in need of God's tender mercy to remind me to be tender and merciful. The grace that I need is God's light. The grace that I need is God's guidance. What is the grace that you need? And what's the invitation from these words? 
in verses 76 through 79. And maybe there's another word. Maybe there's not a word here that stands out to you right now, but there's another one that popped into your mind. Grab onto that. Pause. Take a breath. John went ahead to announce God's grace. John was enrobed with God's grace. I wonder who God will send your way to be gracious to you. And I wonder who you will be gracious to as well in this invitation. So as we continue in, in worship and in light of this tension of light and darkness, I'm going to invite uh, Jonathan. Well, if he's outside playing, we do not want to interrupt him. But Jonathan and Jason and Tammy, uh, this is your time for us to light the Advent candle. We're going to light one candle in anticipation of Advent. And after they come and light the candle, Nidia and January are going to keep leading us in worship. I want to invite you to listen to what is the grace that you need and what is God's honest invitation to you. And if and when you are ready, there's two stations here on the sides that have little tea candles. If you'd like to come and light one of the candles, just as an act of prayer, let your body do the praying, saying, yes, I am in need of knowledge, or yes, I am in need of light, or yes, I am in need of God's grace, or yes, I am in need of God's mercy, or yes, I am in need to be led right now. Whatever your prayer is, let your body do the praying. So after they light the candle, come on. 